Before I get started in our lesson, let me just talk to you for a few moments about where we are and the fact that we are studying in the book of Revelation. This is a very interesting book, but it's a book also about prophecy of the things mostly that will take place after the rapture has taken place itself. Now, we're looking forward to the coming of the Lord. That's called the rapture of the church. And uh, the Bible, Jesus said, when he went away, I'll go away. And if I go away, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you may be also. And of course, the Bible is filled with other verses speaking about Jesus' return and us looking for his appearing. No man knows the day and the hour of the coming of the Son of Man. So even in that first generation, they thought possibly he would come back in their time, in their time. And of course, it's been nearly 2,000 years now. And of course, there's a scripture in Hosea 6, 2 that lets us know that we are nearing the coming of the Lord where it says that uh, Israel should be blinded for two days or should be out of grace with God is the right description there. For two days, and on the third day I will raise her up. Well, we know that's not 24-hour days. So what does it mean by two days? Well, the Bible says a day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Jesus, God said to Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. In the day that you eat of it. Uh, Adam lived to be 900 and, uh, was it 30 years, 930 years. So he died within the dispensational day. So that's called a dispensational day, a thousand years. It's not a 24-hour day. So we know that this period of time is over. This is 2020, so we are, uh, we're into that third day according to our calendar system, but God's probably is a little different than ours. Ours is man-made and so forth. You understand that. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, for, before I get into our lesson here today, some things that you already are familiar with. And uh, this is what we call the, the uh, timeline chart. And it goes from Adam here, uh, 4,000 years of the Old Testament, 2,000 for the New Testament. And that 2,000 year period actually uh, includes over here at the end of the tribulation period. That's all in total and together. We have it separated so we can distinguish the difference. This is what we're looking for now, the soon coming of the Lord. And after that is this period we call the tribulation period. That is what the book of Revelation is mostly about. And it starts, it starts particularly, the actual events of the, of the tribulation period actually start about the sixth chapter. First three chapters are about the seven churches of Asia, and they represent the church age in symbolic fashion. I won't get into all that. That's a Bible study within itself. And then four and five are scenes in heaven about the Lord uh, passing along the judgment of mankind to Jesus Christ, God Almighty to Jesus Christ as a man, God manifested as a man. Well, I won't get into that, but it, Jesus and God is the same, but it's a different manifestation of God. Not God as creator, but God as savior and God as the sacrifice, supreme sacrifice and so forth. That's all done in the fifth chapter. Then when you get into chapter six, we actually get into the events of judgments that are happening on the earth and uh, this is the book of Revelation that we talk about a lot of times. And uh, I have this in other charts broken down where this is one, one section, this is the second section, and then this on over is the third section. Let me refer to this first section for just a moment here. 
And I'm just doing this to sort of let you know where we are and to make it uh, as, as clear as we possibly can. But if you'll notice here, chapter five, four and five here is the scenes in heaven. And then starting in chapter six, which is this chapter right here, they start with those four horses. There is the white horse, uh, there is the red horse, there is the black horse, and then there is the pale horse. These horses all represent something. This represents a false peace, this represents war, this represents famine, uh, the, and then, then this represents death, and one-fourth of the world population will be killed by a war that's going to be fought. There's going to be a very great war that'll be fought shortly after the coming of the Lord. Folks, and nations and countries in the world are poised for that today. You know that. I don't have to tell you that. All this atomic power that's stocked, packed back, that's packed back and stockpiled with nations. Uh, there's, I don't know how many nations now that have the atomic or the nuclear powered bombs and so forth in their, their, uh, their arsenals, including America and everything. They are there and eventually all of this will be released and the world is coming to the place where God says, okay, it's time for his judgments to begin. So this is all about that. Uh, there is going to be those things. So these are seals that are broken here. These are seals. Each, there are seven of them all together. And there's also going to be great earthquakes. There'll be, the sun will be darkened. The moon will turn to blood, or at least it look like it's turned to blood. It'll be red. Stars falling, which will be a meteorite bombardment upon the earth. Heavens depart like shooting stars. There'll be, a, a, again, meteorites shooting through the heavens. And then mountains and islands moved out of their places. And this will all be happening in this sixth chapter. When we go to chapter seven, I'm moving right here, 144,000 of Israel's people will be sealed. They'll be sealed because God is going to use them in the future. And he seals 144,000 Jews. And these are not Gentiles, but they're Jews. And also in that uh, eighth chapter, now listen carefully to this, the eighth chapter, one third, one third of grass burned, trees burned, trees, sea turned to blood, uh, sea life destroyed, ships destroyed, drinking water poisoned, uh, sun is stricken, moon stricken, stars darkened, and it goes down the line, and each one of these uh, trumpets that are being sounded here are all these trumpets that are being sounded here is a series of all of these judgments here, one third over here. When you get to chapter nine here, we get to chapter nine and everything, uh, man is, uh, man seeks death for five months and then there's a great war that's fought. One third of mankind kills. So a fourth over here in this period of time, a third over here. So you've got half the world that's been killed by the time you get through chapter nine because of great wars. These are devastating wars. Let me say one thing here to all of us here today, folks. We are more fragile than we realize. Amen. You see, our whole society is based on uh, fuel, gasoline, and on electricity. That everything is based on that. Uh, even electricity to run the pumps to get the fuel in your car, 
you know, the gasoline. The gasoline has to go through a refinery process. That has to be pumped, oil got to be pumped out. There's oil wells involved, there's oil refineries involved, uh, there's electrical power plants involved. If you wiped out those two things in any nation, you would devastate that nation. They couldn't function. Uh, it, it, all this thing about communication, am I, do, am I hearing a ring or is that, am I okay? You everything, okay, all right. Uh, that would be a, a devastation to a nation. And if you had that in one nation, another nation, second nation, third nation, fourth nation, you would have a world calamity situation. I'm just saying that we are probably worse off than what we even realize because everything hangs by a thread. You know, everything is, you know, computer stuff, you know, computer, computer, everything is so high and we think that we've advanced so far, yet all of that could be wiped out almost just overnight or instantly. So I'm just pointing out to you here that if nations rose up against the nations and really went to war and really fought, just like 9-11, you know, we had New York, we thought, oh, that, that, something like that never happened, but it happened, you know. It shows you what a little something like that could do, just a few men get together and could bring down the trade towers of, of, of the nation and so forth. Can you imagine if there was a, an army of people that did stuff like this? Not just America, but let's say England or France and Germany and uh, uh, anywhere in the world, you know, uh, the Middle East, whatever. So I'm just pointing out to you here that while we look like we're clicking along and smooth and everything is growing and everything is prosperous and people are, you know, I know we got a little virus, but we're hoping to, I mean, uh, you know, we're going to get that cleared up pretty soon and all of that and get vaccinations. And I understand they're coming out one now pretty soon there. Hopefully they will, but still, we are still very vulnerable in this world. What I'm trying to say here is be ready for Jesus to come back. Right. He says, when you begin to see all these things come to pass, then look up for redemption draweth nigh. So I'm taking a little time here before I get into our lesson here today to talk to you about these things that we've already looked at and talked about. So on our overhead here, there will be a great war that'll be fought in which one third, one third of mankind will be killed in chapter nine. And then in chapter 10, there is a uh, chapter 10 here, the end of the, of the, mercy, of the, uh, the mystery of God, which is uh, the Gentiles and the Jews all can be saved. Anybody can be saved. That's where we are today. That's the mystery of God today is that not only just the Jews can be saved as they were under the law, or they were the ones who were saved, but it can also be Gentiles. And that will all end in the 11th chapter. And this red, it says, no more uh, Gentiles saved in this red here. You can't hardly read that, but that's what that's saying. And these are the trumpets that will sound. Each one of these sounds uh, introduce or tells us about something of that nature. And then when you get into the 12th chapter, the 11th and 12th chapters, you get into the latter part of this semicircle that we've showed here. Now, if you notice here, we've just talked about this. This semicircle has to do with what's called Daniel's 70th week. It has to go back to the book of Daniel chapter 70. I mean, chapter, uh, chapter nine, I don't know why I said seven. Chapter nine of the book of Daniel. 
And uh, there were 24 weeks that were determined upon the Jewish people. These were not weeks of days, they were weeks of years and everything. 69 of them have already happened as one that's left and it was projected to be way over at the end of time. And I won't get into that, that's a, a great study in itself, but that's where we are now. And that's what this period of time represents here. This is when God begins to turn the Jews back to him and he's going to restore the Jews and keep his promises he made to them, to them. So when you get into that period of time, uh, we switch over to this chart and just to sort of give you a little a better picture here, uh, there's, it's divided into two periods of time, two three and a half year periods. This three and a half years is mentioned several times, four, about four times in the book of Revelation, about four times in the book of uh, Daniel, all starting in the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation, not any before that, but the 11th chapter. So when you get in chapter 11 here, you get into these first three and a half years and God sends it back his two prophets back to Israel, Moses and Elijah. After three and a half years of preaching and teaching and turning Israel back to God, which they will do. And at the same time, the antichrist begins to try to rule and reign in the world. And so at the end of this first three and a half years, those three prophets are killed and their bodies lie in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. After three and a half days, God revives them. They stand on their feet and then they are caught up to be with the Lord in heaven. And from that time on, the Antichrist then will rule for the next three and a half years. And that's what all these other chapters are all involved here. These other chapters, you can't see my pen here. Uh, all these chapters at the bottom here about these last three and a half years. And that's where we are now. We're going into chapter 16. And also there are the seven vials. So since we've had uh, the seven uh, seals, seven trumpets, now the seven vials are poured out. And that's where we're going to get into here today. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we're headed for this period of time called Armageddon here. This is Armageddon. Uh, it shows an arrow coming down and uh, it, it comes at uh, this point, this part of the charts. Okay, I'm gonna take these all away here and get back to our lesson here. And uh, if you will look with me here, we've got some very interesting things to look at here this morning. And uh, I want you to look with me at that very first one, praise God. And it says preparation for the seven last plagues. All right, I'm looking at number one here. Let me lay my pen right here. All right, preparation for the last seven plagues. If you will, look in Revelations 15.1 with me for a moment, 15.1. Praise God. I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the last, the seven last plagues. Those are the, uh, the seven seals that are, I mean, the, not seals, but the seven vials that are to be poured out upon the world as judgments. And it says, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Now, let me continue on with this thought about those uh, seven angels. Look at verse six. Verse six, now I've got five and six there mentioned in your scriptures, but just go to verse six. I think that'll take us where we want to go here. Fifteen six, 
And the seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, look at this closely, full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And so this is where the God is gonna send his last seven judgments upon Israel. And we are going to uh, talk to you here a little bit about that. This is also uh, can be compared to some things that happened over here because they're to do with the prayers of the saints. Notice that. If you'll notice that, the wrath of God. Let me read, uh, let me go to verse six, chapter 16 here. Chapter 16. And uh, let me read. Uh, verse one, I, and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Verse two, this is 16, two. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. Notice that it was poured up on the earth and there fell a noisome and a grievous sore upon men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshiped his image. And what happens here is that the wrath of God is poured out upon these people because God is going to punish the world for the judgments of man or the, the, uh, the wrath of man upon the church when the church was going through this uh, period of time upon the face of the earth. Uh, the Lord has promised that he'd always take care of us and he'll always uh, take care of these things, praise God. Uh, look at verse three. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, first the earth, then the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man and every living soul died in the sea. Verse four, and the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters and they became blood. It was the fresh waters now that are affected. And if you look back at chapter, if we were to look back at chapter uh, eight, and we were to read there where we're saying one third, it would also be the one third of the earth, one third then of, of the, uh, which were the trees and the grass and all that. And then one third of the, uh, of the sea is affected and so forth. Yeah, my pen here a minute. So we're looking at these things that are beginning to happen here upon the face of the earth. And uh, the seven vials here are poured out in this particular verse. Uh, I want you to look with me, if you would, for a moment in Matthew 5, 11 and 12. God has said that he would always take care of his people. Look at Matthew 5 for a moment. Matthew 5, and I'm going to read here verses 10, 11 and 12. Chapters 5. The Lord said, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil 
against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so cons uh, persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And the Lord is saying that he is going to judge the ones who will persecute the church. Now, Jesus said you'll have persecutions. We'll have persecutions. There have been persecutions against the church all through time. And the Lord has said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We don't take vengeance for that. It's the Lord's privilege to do all of that, not ours. And uh, so these things are the, to do with the prayers of God, of saints of God to God throughout the church age and here over in this period of judgment, both the eighth chapter now and the fulfillment of that in the 16th chapter, God is beginning to pour out judgment upon the earth for all these persecutions of man against his people. Uh, let me say one word here today, folks. The Lord has said that we are not to take vengeance. We are not to be revengeful, but to leave things in the hands of God. Uh, look at Romans 12 for a moment, Romans 12. And I'll give you the 12, I think it's 19. Uh, look at 12, 19 for a moment. Here's what I'm talking about. This is Paul talking. And he's really quoting from, from other scriptures in the Bible. Dearly, uh, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Verse 20, therefore, if thine enemies hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. In other words, do good for those who would do you evil. Now, this is a hard thing to do. It's not easy for us to do. But God's word instructs us as Christians to do that, Amen. that we might be that. Look at the next statement. <coughs> and I'll give you some explanation for that one. Therefore, if thine enemy is hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in do sowing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now that heaping coals of fire on his head is not a negative, it's a positive thing. What would happen in the olden days before we had matches and things, people want to build a fire, uh, start a fire in their home or they needed to get a fire going in their fireplace or they're under their stove, they cook, you know, in the fireplace and so forth. What they would do is to get coals of fire from their neighbor They'd go next door and they'd say, can we, and everybody did this. So everybody expected somebody to do that. And what they did, they had a little hat they could put on their head and it was elevated. And then there was a tray, a brass tray that was metal that was above their head. And they'd put it on their heads and go next door. And they would say, can I have some coals of fire? They wouldn't try to carry it like this or like this. They would carry it up here where they could always throw it off if they ever had to do that. So they so the person who would give them coals of fire would give them a few coals of fire so they'd get a fire started. But if it was a good gesture, they'd say, let me give you some extra coals of fire so you don't have no trouble getting your fire started. Do you understand it was a positive gesture? It was not a negative thing when it said, they shall heap coals of fire upon their heads, what that has reference to. And then verse 21 in that Romans 12, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now that's instructions to the church and this is what the Lord is telling us that we should do. Uh, also in the book of Hebrews, I'll refer to that verse. Uh, this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. Uh, 
Hebrews 10.30, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So what we're talking about here is that the Lord is going to now send judgment upon the world because this is his revenge or his, uh, him taking revenge for his people. You know, everybody understand that? Because God's people have been persecuted in many different ways. Some as minor things. Sometimes uh, somebody, you know, is, is, mis not mis is not treated well on the job. Sometimes it's a severe thing is somebody having their life taken like, that, like they did in the Middle Ages or back in the early church period of time. And uh, they take their lives because they're a Christian or a child of God. I'm just saying that the end of time, God is going to say, okay, it's enough. And I'm going to send judgment upon the people of God. So I'm going back over here then to Revelations chapter 16, where all of these things are developing and taking place. So I'm going to read 16.4. 16.4, where he pours his wrath upon the fountains. The third angel sounded and poured out his vial upon the rivers and, fount and fountains of waters, and they became blood. Verse 6, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink. So this is God's judgment upon them. Now look at verse 8. This is the fourth judgment, verse 8. And uh, this is the fourth, fourth judgment of God. This is uh, where it affects the sun, moon, and stars. Uh, right here. Revelation 16, 8. And it says here, uh, And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed God. In other words, they were just full of the devil, mean-spirited. Now remember, the Antichrist has already been loosed and the Antichrist is Roman and the Antichrist now has control of the whole world. And God is sending these judgments and these plagues upon the human race and so forth. And so it says here, they shall blaspheme God, uh, the name of God which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Now I'm jumping again on going on to verse 10. The, the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. Everybody see that? Yeah. Upon the seat of the beast. And his kingdom was full of darkness, full of darkness. The seat of the beast, that's the next one here. And, it shall, and his seat was, uh, it shall be full of darkness. Uh, go to Exodus 10, 21 for a moment. This is... Uh, a little example we've got here of, of uh, where it happened in Egypt when the Lord was going to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, this gives us an example. Folks, I want to talk to you about this thing about darkness for a few moments. Darkness is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. I'm going to read this in Exodus to you here. Uh, we're reading here in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21 through 22. Before I read it, I remember as a boy... Uh, my my family, my dad worked in the shipyard in World War II. We were living in Jacksonville at the time, and my dad said, I'm going to take us down to St. Augustine to see the fort, 
the old fort that was built there many moons ago, one of the first things ever built, you know, St. Augustine's oldest city in America. And the fort is one of the oldest establishments, I guess, lasting establishments here in America. And uh, we went down and saw that old fort. And while we were there, we were on a tour going around. I was about uh, seven, eight years old, about eight years old. Uh, I was with my dad and my dad said to my mom and my sister and my younger baby brother at the time, said, you stay here, I'm gonna take Ellis with me and we're gonna go follow the guide into this, into this dungeon where they put prisoners in that fort. And they took us back into a, through a, through a channel and back into a room with a light bulb in the room. And when we all got in there, the guide said to us, I'm gonna turn the light out and you're gonna be in total darkness and you will know what total darkness is like. Because most of us have never really experienced total darkness. And I remember that he turned the light out. I guess they were showing us that, uh, how they would put prisoners sometime in those areas and they'd be in the total darkness. Anyhow, they turned the light out and folks, it was so dark, you could not see your hand in front of you. You could not see anything. You could put your hand like this and you couldn't see it. My dad was there and I got a hold of his, his hand and his arm and held it real tight. It was scary. All of my life, I have never forgotten that experience of being in total darkness just for probably 30 seconds. It wasn't long, but long enough that your eyes could just, probably your eyelid. And when they switched on the little light up there, Man, it was like a bright light shining in everybody's face. It had been so dark and our pupils had been so large, I suppose. I'm just telling you what total darkness is like. This is what it says over in Exodus. Exodus uh, uh, 11, 21. Uh, did I say 11? I'm sorry. It's 10, 21. 10, 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. And it goes on to say here how that in that darkness, uh, those people were so very miserable and unhappy and they finally, uh, Pharaoh called Moses and come and, and take your people and get out of here. Then he changed his mind of course afterwards and he didn't send them until the first child of, the oldest child of every family died. But anyhow, this was the, the, the plague that he sent just before he sent the last one. This was the ninth one. Total darkness. Now, and so, and this is what happened that he will do in the Antichrist's kingdom. I'm going back to this verse of scripture here in verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast and his kingdom was in full darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Again, repented not of their deeds. They just said, we're not sorry for what we did. We're glad that we, we persecuted righteous and good people and so forth. And of course, they had already killed a number of Gentiles. Now they were persecuted the Jewish people who had become now the people of God. And so all of this was happening now and in this total darkness situation. One, one more word, and then I'm gonna move on here to the next one real quickly. And that is this, folks. 
God is the only one that gives light. Listen to me carefully here. He gave real light in the beginning. First thing he did in the beginning, uh, God moved and God said, let there be light. That's the first thing he created was light, light. Because God is the giver of light. He is the only one that could give light. And light, praise the Lord, we know of in a natural sense. We know light because we have lives we see. He has given us eyes that we can see. We, can, we understand light works with our bodies, with our eyes, our sight, everything. Light is a marvelous thing to us. But in total darkness, most of us have very little idea what, what all that's all about. But God has given light. It's the same thing spiritually. Just as it is naturally, there is the spiritual side of that. Just as there is total darkness spiritually, there is light spiritually. This is why that when you come to the Lord, don't mess around with the world and don't mess around with sin and don't play around with all that mess that the devil's going to tempt you with because that's a pull back into darkness. But the Lord wants to give us light because with light, we can see. We understand, we know where we're stepping, we see where we're going. You know, the spiritual light is a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's why the Holy Ghost is so essential. Amen, with the, with the Holy Spirit, we have that spiritual light. Praise the Lord, that we are able to see spiritually and understand things. We have a, a comprehension and we are able to understand things. God gives us understanding to his people. He gives understanding to us. Praise the Lord. So God is a giver of understanding. And we'll move on very quickly here to this river Euphrates. This is a great study in itself. The sixth angel poured out, poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. This is verse 12. I'm moving here very quickly here now. This is uh, part three down here. Upon the great river Euphrates. And... Uh, this is the sixth vial. Uh, strange enough, in the eighth chapter, it was the, it was the uh, sixth trumpet that also involved the book of the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, river of Ephesus. The, 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 not Ephesus, but the... Uh, let me get my map. I'm trying to think about my map here. Let me get up here for you. The Euphrates River. This is where the Euphrates River is. This is the Euphrates River here. Flows through the heart of Iraq, which is today. All your red letters is Iraq. They're the modern countries. Syria is here. Jordan is over here. Israel is over here. Iran is over here. This is all red letters. The dark letters is the old empires that exist in those same locations. Euphrates River has always been there. It's in the heart of the Middle East. It's in the heart of the Middle East. So the Euphrates River is a very important river. If uh, you'll turn over here with us for a moment to, uh, I think it's chapter eight. If I can go back to that for a moment. Uh, let me find it. Is chapter 9 and verse 13. 9 13. Look at this closely with us for a moment. This is going back to chapter 9 when the angels were sounding trumpets. And the six angels sounded, 
Now notice over here in the 16th chapter, it is the vials that are being poured out. When just incidentally were, were little, little vases where people would cry and they put their tears in there. And it represented, and the scripture here represented the prayers of the saints of God who wept and cried and you left things in the hands of God even though you were hurt inside yourself. They were violently being poured out. And it became the wrath of God as they were being poured out. Now over here in this ninth chapter of the book of Revelation, verse 13, the sixth angel pour, uh, sounded, this is the trumpet now, and heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God saying to the sixth angel, the sixth angel which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Notice here it involves the river Euphrates. And the four angels were loose which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. This is where we had talked to you earlier that in the ninth chapter, one fourth of the world, one third of the population of men was killed. And verse 16 says, and the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, that's 200 million soldiers. This is a huge army that will be fought in that period of time. Now, when I go back over here then to this 16th chapter and this 12th verse, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the rivers thereof were dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And then verse 16 gives us the identification of that battle. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So we're building up here to Armageddon. And this is what we're going to be looking at next week. Our time is gone now. Well, we're going to be looking at Armageddon, the wrap up when God comes back. Praise the Lord again at that time. He comes back, folks, for his church in the rapture. He never comes to the earth, never comes to the earth but he comes back for his church and we rise to meet him in the air and meet him in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. But when he comes back at Armageddon, that is after the, at the end of the tribulation period, the Bible said he will come with 10,000s of his saints. And at this time he comes back and he sets his feet down and he had put his foot right down uh, on the east side of, of uh, the east side of the temple mount where he ascended into heaven. Says, you see him go away, so shall he come again. He put his foot right back down in that same place. And when he does, it's going to split that, that mountain open there. And we'll get into some things that is very interesting. But I'm just telling you here that God is in control. And you stay with the Lord. Stay with the church. Stay with the kingdom of God. God's way is the best way. There's nothing in it better. And God's truth will stand when everything else falls. Amen. Let's stand together and give God the praise.